Filmmaker Raoul Peck has an esteemed body of work ranging from I Am Not Your Negro to Exterminate All the Brutes. His latest documentary is Silver Dollar Road. I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. Raoul Peck's new film, Silver Dollar Road, profiles a black family in North Carolina, the Reels, who inherited waterfront property that was passed from generation to generation for over 100 years. But in the 1980s, a fraudulent land claim was made on their property that set into motion several decades of real estate developers trying to lay claim to it. The film, Silver Dollar Road, shows how the Reels family refused to give in to immense pressure of lawsuits, violence, and a court order that sent two family members to jail for refusing to vacate the property. Raoul's earlier film, I Am Not Your Negro, based on the writing of James Baldwin, was an essay on black resistance to racism. In Silver Dollar Road, he takes up similar themes, only as a family saga. The film begins in 2021 at a party for the family matriarch Gertrude, as she's turning 95 years old. Happy birthday, dear Grandma. Happy birthday to you. Raoul pays close attention to three generations of women in the family who've been at the forefront of protecting their land. Here's Gertrude's granddaughter, Kim Duhan. I did go to the market with Grandma to help out. Grandma was very well respected. And she had a lot of clientele when it came down to the produce and the seafood that she sold. Technically, she was probably considered one of the richest black women in the community because that property was so um, valuable. And not valuable to us from a monetary standpoint, but valuable to us because of the history, you know, and the beauty of it. The film draws upon a wealth of previous reporting. Journalist Lizzie Presser covered the case for an article jointly published by ProPublica and The New Yorker. We'll link to her piece in the show notes. During her reporting, she teamed with videographer Mayetta Clark, who filmed extensively with the reels. When Raoul joined the project, that footage was a valuable resource. As I was preparing for this interview, I rewatched a speech that Raoul gave the Doc NYC Festival two years ago. He paid tribute to an influential documentary. But I do want to acknowledge one particular filmmaker who literally shattered my comprehension of political documentary filmmaking. When I didn't even know that I wanted to become a filmmaker. I felt then something that I never ever felt again in such a visceral way. The notion of reality in the making caught on film. I'm talking of course about Barbara Coppel and her legendary Harlem County, USA. With that in mind, I started our interview by asking Raoul if he remembers when he first saw Harlan County, USA. I probably was in Berlin. I was in an in environment uh, that was very political. Um, we were very often on the streets. We were working with uh, unions. We were, I was, you know, 
in in organized groups. Um, it was a very international uh, set of people, and I probably saw it. Uh, I don't know, but I probably have seen it uh, uh, during the Berlin Film Festival. I, I don't remember what year it, it was, by the way. So filmmaking at the time for me was how do you make impact? How do you explain what's going on and um, and reach out people? And this particular film made exactly that. It really gives you the 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 impetus uh, to to do what you uh, were doing uh, you know politically you know it gives you the impetus to do more to you know and you saw the people with whom or for whom you were fighting you know fighting on the screen and and being involved and and also another aspect is you know to nowadays is not that uh, uncommon but to actually see people risking their lives you know shots are being uh, uh, shot during the shooting and and so it's really life in action this is everything i i i thought that documentary should be you know yeah. to be in the middle of action and you as a filmmaker you're not just an observer you're not just somebody who reports you are part of the story uh, contrary to journalists who all say, so I don't want to be the uh, you know uh, uh, part of the story. Yes, but uh, you are still a, a citizen as well. So it's about you. It's about your role in society. So you can be the neutral observer. You know. So this film, you know, had all the the ingredient that are for me key to uh, making a documentary. And when you saw it, were you already geared towards making films or were you still making a transition into uh, making films? I, I don't remember. I, I, I should have uh, uh, Googled the, 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 the date. When, when, well, the, the, where you, was Harlan I? County came out in 1976. Yeah. I don't know when. Um... 19, well, then I, I, was, I went to Berlin in 1973. So I was in the midst of it. And uh, I probably at the time did not complete documentary uh, to be a profession for me because I was already studying industrial economy. Um, but I was making photo and a little bit of film on the side. And, and I think it's probably unknown to me, influenced me, you know, to show me that in fact, uh, filmmaking is an incredible tool for whatever the political uh, 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 job we were doing. And by the way, uh, during that same time, there was what we called at the time uh, um, militant filmmaking. And that filmmaking for me was bound to fail because the language used, the, the skilled use, you, you know, like, you know, the image didn't have to be well, the sounds not well, the editing, you know, it was about, you know, not to be negative or, uh, you know, derisive about those films, but it felt like it was more propaganda than anything else. It was not about convincing people. Uh, it was about, uh, you know, convincing uh, the people who were already convinced, you know, and I knew um, it didn't work for me. 
I didn't want to just be among uh, you know people thinking like me. The 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 fight was how do we have more and more people understanding what's going on, you know, and and so I I, I knew there was another way. I didn't know then that I would be very deep in it a few years uh, down but uh what i was trying to do with my photos with my uh writing my interviews i i started doing uh during the festivals uh, among other things uh, you know it was about linking the 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 third world with what was going in europe and by the way some of my great friendship was during uh, the Berlin Festival, because I would uh, uh, go interview for some of the leftist newspaper uh, filmmaker from the third world, you know, from Brazil, from uh, Colombia, from uh, Cuba. You know, I, beca I became friends with a lot of uh, Cuban filmmakers. So it, it really uh, was the rebuilding of, co of a community for me, of, of uh, uh, filmmakers, people working on the the worst conditions, sometimes under dictatorships. So um, all this did school me, you know, and it it, it always made documentary something that you do uh, and that has to have meaning and, and impact, not just entertainment or not, not at all entertainment and not at all for a career, you know. It was about how do you move this, everything forward? Let me fast forward to Silver Dollar Road. This is a story that goes back several decades. Um, and the work that you're doing in this film builds upon work that other uh, journalists and videographers have been doing. Lizzie Presser is the ProPublica journalist who uh, wrote a big article about this story in, in 2019. And I understand a ProPublica videographer working with ProPublica, Mayetta Clark, had been doing a lot of filming um, uh, over the years. C can you talk about the qualities that you, that, that those two um, journalists brought to to this story? I think for me that was key when I uh, after I, I I was engaged in in that project uh, first as executive producer then. Uh, I decided to direct. It, it was clear that uh, all the footage that were shot uh, prior to my arrival were archive, an incredible kind of archive because, uh, and I think because Mayeta and Lizzie, they were, they are journalists primarily, and, but they did something that rarely journalists have the occasion to do is basically to be embedded and spend a lot of time with your subject, uh, not judging and uh, being there with some sort of empathy to listen. And and those women, they spent a lot of time uh, uh, with the family. So for me, that was incredible uh, uh, footage, moving, emotional, true, uh, really, uh, or, uh, kind of cinema verite, and and you you don't feel the camera, you know the you know you, they film the grandmother when you know she's alone uh, thinking, they film uh, their daily lives, and that's all the things I like. That's all the thing I would have had to do if I had taken the project early on. Uh, so. 
that was valuable moment, valuable images. So for me, it was then to make some decisive choices, like who is telling the story? Like, what is the story? Because it's that story has so many layers and so many possible angles. So, but it, it, it was uh, quick for me. The, the first thing I did, which uh, helped a lot, is that I decided to edit all those archives, you know, to see what do I got, you know, what is there? Because I knew it was incredible, valuable, but what can I really use, you know, in order to tell a story? So I basically had 40 minutes of of uh, of edit, you know, and, and I felt the film was there. I, I had the idea of a film. I had, uh, you know, how it would develop. And then I took the decision, the core decision was to have uh, Kim and, and Mami telling the story, the two women that, who have been, you know, carrying the, the weight of, of, uh, of this whole tragedy. And that was an, an important choice because they were extraordinary storytellers. They are strong women. Uh, they are women who has no problem in showing their weaknesses as well, that they are, they can be depressed, they can be sad, they can be totally discouraged. And they were funny. They were funny, they were strong. So that's you can't have better narrators, you know. And then politically, it also was important for me to say, okay, do I go into what usually, you know, I would say uh, U.S. documentaries and sometimes European documentaries does is to, okay, you have that family story or that individual story and uh, let make it bigger by going on the other side and interrogating everybody. Let's, you know, bump it up in, uh, let's have talking heads. Let's have specialists. And I felt, you know, I already had all the specialists. Lizzie has done her homework. She had interviewed everybody. And all that documentation did help me understand the depth of the problem. But ultimately, I thought, well, people can read that. They don't need it in my film. But what they could gain from the film is to maybe learn uh, about these other people, how, you know, they are real people, they are human beings, and they are incredibly uh, 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 um, sympathetic, uh, and they they have a wrenching story to tell. Let them tell the story. You know, we don't need anybody else. We don't need talking heads. And 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 by the way, those are people we which we rarely see in cinema. You know, most of the time, there is some sort of uh, wanting to, you know, because they might not speak the English like, you know, in New York or in uh, L.A. Or they are, uh, they can be, they are not mainstream in the sense that, uh, you know, urban, uh, educated uh, people. And we, we might have some paternalistic approach to them, you know, that we have to explain what they say. We have to explain, well, they mean that, but in fact, they, you know, there is always the professor, uh, you know, uh, putting it in words that are easy for the general audience. I decided, no, why? You know, those, they have the same rights to, to be, to have the whole show for themselves. And that's what I decided. They are the show. They are the one talking about their lives. 
their uh, happiness, their fight, whatever their life is, they have center stage. The members of the Reels family have been telling their story in different ways um, for you know many years while uh, this battle has uh, dragged on. And you know when when you arrive as another storyteller, I wonder what it meant for you to you know make a bond with them. I mean, I'm sure that over the years they've talked to journalists who they put some faith in, and maybe that faith didn't come through, or you know got their story yeah, wrong, yeah. or didn't get but, their story and en uh, enough, or you, you know, uh, and because the, I know that conversation, uh, uh, a lot of uh, younger or aspiring filmmaker might watch it, and I always try to demystify our work. You know what we do. You know, there is no mystery. Uh, the, the first thing I can say about that, first of all, Lizzie did the whole legwork that I would normally have to do. You know, she spent almost or even more than two years there. Going there, and you know, uh, going there is not like you just take an airplane and you land there and you're there in five minutes. It's multiple ways. You have to find the best way to, to get there and drive uh, to Silver Dollar Road. And once you're there, you are in the no man's land. It's a a place that you you know that is really different than everything else around you. So they had that uh, made that uh, all those steps. They spent time with the family uh, to a point where the first time I went there, uh, of course, Lizzie introduced me, but I could watch, I could read the room and see how Lizzie was was at home, even though she always you know, wants to be the journalist. No, I don't interfere. But, you know, that's common sense. That's human behavior. That's human, uh, uh, you know, she has a skill to be, to feel at ease, even though she's a, a, a white, a very educated uh, woman and journalist, but she felt comfortable and the people uh, felt comfortable with her. So she did her job. And so I benefited from that too. And when I came, it was the same as well, because uh, my uh, urgency is always to feel at ease with the people and that the people trust me as well. That's part of my job. I didn't feel like I was in a foreign country. I, I re, uh, you know, I recognized the grandmother as my own grandmother. I, you know, everything was familiar, you know, and, and once you always have that human approach, it always work, you know. Uh, if you're a bully uh, in New York, you will be a bully there too. So, you know, you you, you transport whoever you are. You know, it's, it's uh, that's why I say it's it's about, you know, what do you project, you know, and, and if people are going to trust you or not. And to, to, the, to the fact that they were tired, yes, they were tired because uh, they saw Mayeta filming, they saw there were two or three other, DP is there for, for a few days and they left. And so for them, not knowing what filmmaking is, you know, there would be some film and it would come like maybe in six months or in a year. But after two years and more to have another filmmaker come, of course, there was this kind of disbelief. You know, I could feel some of the question, you know, is this going to be a real film or is it going to be the film, etc. So, but that's easy to dispel, you know, to say, and uh, I came with some pedigree. Uh, you know, the first time I went there, it was the 95th year old 
uh, Gertrude Real's birthday. So the whole family was there, but also people coming from the north, from the south. And some of them have seen I am not your Negro. They knew a little bit who I was, or some of them, and they talk among each other. So I saw the dynamic, you know, and very, you know, within uh, a few hours, I, you know, uh, we had a barbecue with, I had my team set up stuff because I wanted to to shoot that anniversary. And that's, in fact, that's the first sequence uh, in the film. This is the 95th birthday of the matriarch of the family, Gertrude Reels. In the film, we really see these three generations of uh, of women, as, you know, as you've described, Gertrude Reels in her 90s, her daughter, Mamie Ellison, who uh, carried on a lot of this uh, fight, and Gertrude's granddaughter, Kim Duhon, um, who, you know, is really probably the future of, uh, of carrying on um, what will be a continuing struggle to uh, her, her niece. To... Uh, she's her niece. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, uh, Kim is Mamie's niece. Yes. Yes. You know, you talked about the the strength that you saw in these women, and I wonder if you can elaborate your intentionality to kind of to anchor the story in 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 these women. Well, again, you know, you you don't have many ways to to tell a story like this, and and. Uh, especially when it's a very complicated story uh, from the legal side. You know, <laughs> these people have been fighting for several decades with uh, many ups and downs and mostly downs uh, of them fighting the justice system up to the point where the two brothers will go to prison. So this is central for them. And at the same time, it cannot be the whole story because you need to really make sure that they are first and foremost real human being. You know, they are not just subject of a story. They are not just victim of a of a drama. And I had to find a way to uh, how do I stay on their side? How do I stay? You know. What would it be if it's my grandmother, if it's my my sister or my mother? You know, I have to bring my empathy as far as that. You know, so I have also to protect them. I do think, as a filmmaker, I have responsibility for the people I film as well. The choice of Mammy and Kim was also a safe choice because then I would not feel that I'm speaking in their place, that I was not overriding them. At the same time, I could help them tell the story a way that would be understandable by everybody. So it was a, a back and forth between uh, the both of them. And, and in between interviews, I had long, long time of conversation with the both of them. You know, um, uh, it was important that, that I understand uh, stuff that were unsaid. You know, that I also know uh, what kind of tension there were in the families. There are stories that we don't need to tell because that's not the man's story. And I took side, you know, very clearly. I excluded everything that could be a sort of, they say, she said, and okay, you know, and, and show what I call the other side. No, because the other side, we know it. We have seen it in thousands of films. You know, 
the promoter, the lawyers, the judges, the, you know, we know those stories. You know, what I wanted to stay with, and that's fine, I think that's why uh, people are angry at the end of the film, uh, is that you, those people are close to you by the time the film ends. You know, you've been living with them. You know, you 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 trust them, you you feel them, you know, and you see what the outside world, because that's how you feel it. The outside world is basically, uh, you know, harassing them, uh, putting them in jail, uh, taking their livelihood from them, although they were asking nobody for anything, you know, and, and that's the anger, that injustice. And and so I think the the film uh, 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 managed to do that because I, I made the choice at the beginning to stay close to them. So two other key figures in the story are Melvin and LaCurtis, the two brothers who uh, were sent to jail by a judge for eight years for uh, refusing to vacate their land. Um, can you talk about what your experience of of Melvin and LaCurtis were? Well, both of them were, I had to deal differently because, of course, they are the first and foremost victim, even though the whole family is victim and and as if the whole family went to jail with them. But they are the one who basically made the decision that, no, we are not going to sign up and leave the land and, and uh, destroy our houses. Uh, we better go to prison. And so they went to prison, but without knowing that it will take eight years, you know, going to prison for contempt, this is just, you know, you go for a few days, for a week, and, and the, 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 you know, the worst is that you have to come back in front of a judge after 90 days, you know, but to be put in a cell, you know, and, and we are talking uh, a sheriff's cell, not, not like a federal prison where you have all sort of services, you can go in the yard, you can, you know, do a sport, also. No, it's a cell where you are just awaiting trial. So not knowing, you know, you didn't commit a crime, you were not condemned for a specific amount of time in jail, and imagine the psychological setup, you know. And so those two men are, are clearly uh, very traumatized and up to a point where you could you would think, well, they are totally dehumanized, you know. They 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 just want to go out there for vengeance and 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 sue everybody and and get revenge. No, they are they are broken partly, but at the same time they feel you know, like they did it, you know, they did, they didn't uh, uh, submit. And so it's a very contradictory feeling and, and both of them feel it different way. You know, Melvin is still the exuberant, funny man and, and who likes to music, who, like Mami said, who likes women and uh, he still wants to be a fisherman and, but he's older now, he's, he's like more than 70 years old but he still has life in him whereas uh, like Curtis you know is uh, you know there is a sentence he says toward the end of the film you know I just try not to hate you know and and that's a strong statement you know 
how how human more human can you be you know you you state the obvious normally you should hate everybody for what they have done to you and he said i'm trying not to hate you know and and that's for me that's that's strong and i didn't want a a, a sad ending it's it's just life you know i didn't want any ending by the way it's really their their fight continues life continue and and they will find a way to to deal with it and 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 not give you know the usual you know end of a film and then you can go home and say well i'll watch an extraordinary film and it's no I, something stay with you and and uh, push you to react push you to do something or you know even if it's just you know be informed get some information about what's going on and you know, write to your congressman. I want to ask about the meaning of land uh, in this story. What the meaning of land means to you? You're you're someone who's moved uh, around the world, Haiti to Europe to America. When you are engaging with people who are so deeply rooted in uh, in their piece of land, willing to go to jail for. Uh, eight years to 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 stay on that land. How do you think about that? Well, uh, there, there are two sides. There is a, a personal side and, and a more historical, political one. The personal side is the fact that my father is an agronomist. So I grew up, my first photos, I remember as a two, three-year-old boy in, in Haiti, uh, I was in a campus where uh, my father was teaching. He was a professor at the academy, uh, at the uh, Department for Agriculture in, in the in Haitian uh, uh, University. We were in the field. You know, I grew up with tractors. I grew up with all of this. So, and this is something I realized after that. And, and uh, you know, and my father had some piece of land in far away in the province, which I inherited so i go there i'm planting uh, trees as well so it's it's uh, it's an environment that i know those are people you know i i talk with with uh, people that are farmers all the time i you know i have the same problem with that they have when it's not raining uh, i i see how they being taken advantage of when they are selling their coffees, you know. So land is is part of life. It's part of identity for me. It's part of home, you know. Uh, I've lived in many different countries, but still Haiti still is my home. That the few, uh, you know, acres of land that, that I have, it's really important to me. I want to make sure to be able to go back there. That's one side, a more personal side. The other one is land is what I used to say now is the DNA of America. You know, America was created on stolen land. You know, even the concept of land property, the indigenous did not own land. They took care of land. You know, and, and if people forget that, they don't understand at all what happened to America. In the same token, you can say, well, once you bring that concept to the continent that you could own, uh, you know, that land is a commodity, well, then people can be a commodity too. So you important, you know, uh, black bodies to be a commodities that you could exchange, mortgage, etc. 
and and you create a land where all new uh, 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 colonizer could get a piece of land. The state always makes sure that every new generation get more land because they knew exactly that was the source of wealth. Or one of the things they make sure of is that the indigenous people had less and less land and that the enslaved did not have land at all. And until the civil war, after the civil war, land was promised because everybody was expecting, you know, now what? We are free? So what's the story now? Are you, you know, expect us to go and work in factories or, you know, you're going to give us the real freedom, which is let us have our piece of land. We don't need anything else from you. But even that did not happen. So basically, it's it explained everything that we have today. So it's, you know, there is no mystery why predominantly uh, Black minorities, indigenous from uh, Florida to Alaska don't have economical stability because they didn't have access to land. That's the key story. I say that in Exterminate All the Brutes. All the founding father were real estate people. They had something to do with land because that was the central commodity. Without land, you are nobody. That's the core problem and core issue of America. And do you feel like in Silver Dollar Road, you've found the way to, to personify that story? Well, yeah, it was, I didn't want to just have a story about this family alone. I, it was as important to put that family in the structure, the general structure of this story and this history, you know, that we, you knew exactly where they are, where they fit in that bigger story. You know, so we have moments in the film where you, you make clearly that connection. Uh, and we have a few subtitles also that, very briefly tell the story of how, you know, basically when uh, uh, Black people finally, when they didn't receive any land, basically they bought, uh, you know, uh, end of 19th century, they start buying whatever they could find that was the cheapest, which was swamp land and, and coast, sandy coast land uh, that they worked on and make them profitable. And, and then the violence came, you know, out of jealousy and economical uh, 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 wants, uh, they were violently pushed out of their land. That's how the lynching started. You know, the lynching is not primarily a racist thing. It it was used, uh, uh, racist was used after that, but the primary goal was let's get those black out of that land. We need that land back. And then the 1920s came the tourists, the boom of the tourist industry. So it make now we want also the, the coastal parts, you know. And then they started all over the country to basically make sure whether it's through legal, illegal means, uh, tax uh, uh, hike, uh, uh, you know, threat, uh, uh, violence. They got, you know, and uh, you know the number, like basically... Within uh, uh, less than a hundred years, uh, black lost ninety percent of their land. Ninety percent. It's an astonishing figure that uh, that this film 
uh, I think really gives it an, an emotional heart uh, to. This is a film about generations and there's a, to me, a very poetic moment of the youngest generation of, of young girls who are singing on the, uh, the street. I wonder if you can describe how that scene came about. Well, uh, that's a scene I didn't shoot, but Mayetta, but that's also one of these scenes where I think because Mayetta, Lizzie, they are women, and, and I think they had a great relationship with the, the girls. They spent a lot of time playing or, or chatting with them, and they observe how you know what their games was and and that's the kind of thing that happened because uh you spent a lot of time there you know you you're not there on a shoot where you know you have uh, one day two days and you have to go back catch your plane no it's you know you have time you have to let those moments uh, uh arrive Mamie and Kim came to the film's uh premiere at the Toronto Film Festival what was that experience like to to be with them as as this film was um, reaching an audience for the first time? For them, it was extraordinary. For Mamie, that was the first time she was, you know, coming out of the U.S., you know, and, and the first time she left, you know, to, took an airplane to come to New York, that's when, you know, I, I had her flown to to come and, and, and work with me for, for a few days. And so, you know, she... It's a person that really they they live where they live and they they not really have big occasion to to go elsewhere, and so Toronto was an important moment for 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 her and for Mammy in particular and Kim as well, and uh, and as you 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 have seen you know they were they were able to hold their fort and and were not intimidated you know because they you know they know who they are and they know what cause they are fighting for and, and, you know, and, but one important thing I think that she did say in Toronto and, and she said, Oh, I'm so happy because now I feel that I'm not alone. I, I, I don't have that weight on my shoulder because I'm not alone to tell that story, you know, because she felt she was the chronicler of that story. And she has, she was the one to keep, make sure that, the story is kept being told. And now with the film, you know, it it's, was some sort of uh, freedom, you know, from, you know, because, um, you know, she identified with the film. She doesn't, you know, they, they didn't give me notes. Uh, in fact, the only thing she said at some point that, but that was out of humility, I think, where she, you know, the scene where she cursed about those uh, uh, police and and uh, uh, people coming to survey the land, she just lashed out, and it was very spontaneous. And she said, "Oh, do you think that those people need to hear me curse like this?" And I say, "Well, it came out, and it was strong, and it's one of the best moments in the whole film, you know." And and later they hear you because she said, "I don't want people to think that I'm racist." Can you imagine that? Even saying it, I'm very emotional. 
And and I say, you know, you you also said other things during the film that show that, you know, what your thinking is that it was, in fact, not so much about race, but about class, about poverty and people having money, taking advantage of other people. And and she said, okay, I, I get it. But it was, uh, you know, uh, for her. Uh, an important moment that the the film finally is there and that other people beyond the county, beyond Beaufort, beyond North Carolina will be able to, to be part of that story. I want to thank Raoul Peck for speaking with me His film, Silver Dollar Road, is streaming on Amazon Prime. If you delve into our podcast archives, you can hear him speak about I Am Not Your Negro on episodes 21 and 31. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan, marketing manager Bella Racklin, and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, and our executive producer is Raphael Anahausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our free newsletter at purenonfiction.net. Mm-hmm.